Hello and welcome to Pacific Sound Radio, your go-to source for everything happening in the Vancouver music scene. I'm James Olson and today we're speaking with Sam Tudor. Sam Tudor is a vocalist, songwriter, engineer, and producer who has been releasing music under his own name since 2014. His project is a DIY collaborative effort featuring an impressive roster of session and touring musicians from bands including Bernice, U.S. Girls, Tassio Mancy, Home House, and Charlotte Cornfield. On his latest record, Two Half Words, Sam lyrically explores memorable and challenging experiences from the last three years of his life while incorporating a combination of electronic and organic instrumentation resulting in his most experimental and atmospheric release to date. Yeah, it's uh, didn't sleep a ton last night, so I've been kind of zoned out. But I've been I've been good. Late night or just? Yeah, I I had a work deadline, so I was staying up late uh, editing a bunch of video stuff. Good. So your latest record, Two Half Words, is your third release so far. How did you get your start writing and releasing music under your own name? Um, I started when I was kind of in high school, I would say, um, and I, I actually sort of got into recording before I even got into being able to play music. Like I, I feel like I was really excited when I learned about GarageBand and how GarageBand worked and all the layers of things that you could, the way you could layer sound. Um, and I sort of learned to play instruments after the fact, like, because I needed something to record. <laughs> so, so yeah, like it's been quite a long time and um, yeah, it was just a outlet that where I was able to do whatever I want in a sort of, in, in my own sort of bubble and that really appealed to me. And yeah, like in a way recording is the part that made me the most excited um, and kept me going and I sort of let just learn to play instruments as like a, uh, a means to creating recordings. And what was that first instrument that you decided to pick up? Well, well, pro I would say guitar. Um, I, I did have piano lessons all growing up and stuff, but I don't know if that really counts because those were sort of forced lessons by parents and stuff. Um, but the the first instrument that I was really excited about was guitar and felt like I was doing it on my own terms. Um, but I remember I would like play, like, I don't know, I would just like hit, th I, I, I was recording in like a, a room in my high school and I would just like hit the filing cabinet to make beats and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know what I was doing, but, um, but yeah, probably guitar and then, and then, um, and then, actually, I think banjo was the second instrument, because I had some friends growing up who were really good at banjo, and I was really excited, so I, tr I tried to learn banjo. <laughs> I've heard uh, banjo is uh, a lot harder than it looks. Yeah, there, there's um, there's different techniques. There's one called claw hammer, which is like a sort of um, requires a certain way of using your hand to strum that's kind of, kind of complicated. It's like you're playing the same note with your thumb. It's hard to describe, but 
yeah, it's a lot more difficult than I thought. Um, but it's really kind of therapeutic. <laughs> and I guess, you know, obviously you're going through high school, you're making, you know, putting down song ideas through GarageBand. At what point did you determine, okay, you know, I want to I wanna put out, uh, write and record and release something that, like, I'm, I'm really proud of and I want to be uh, playing my music for other people as well. What was that, uh, that uh, turning point for you? Hmm. I don't know if it was like one clear moment. Um, I start. I was making sort of collections of recordings since I was probably in grade nine or ten, and I would just um, obviously there's albums that I really liked and I was really connecting to at the time, and and then and I think I just was like, okay, well I've made ten songs, so I guess now you you put them out. And I had a, t a teacher. I had a couple of teachers who were really supportive and who are like uh, who are musicians as well and they they were telling me about how I could print my songs and and put them on a CD and like I was learning how to do all that stuff and get it get it manufactured and um, so I just kind of did it and then I made a lot of recordings that way and a lot of them weren't very good uh, <laughs> so, um, the early ones are pretty embarrassing but there was never a point where I don't think there was ever a point where I was like this is amazing this is what the world needs to hear you know i just like kind of just kept doing it and i found that it was um yeah i don't know it just was like a very good way for me to process my feelings and uh, be a creative outlet and then um and then yeah i just never stopped <laughs> and who would you say are some of the bands and artists that have inspired your approach to songwriting? I've seen you name drop Brian Eno in a few press releases, though to my ears I hear a bit of Paul Simon in your work. Yeah, that's that's cool that you say that. A few a few people have said that, and um, yeah, I really like Paul Simon. I I um, it's changed so much over the years. Like uh, when I was younger and I was in high school, I, there was sort of I think the formative bands of that era for for me and for my friends were bands like were were like Bonnie Vera for um, the album for Emma Forever Go and Helplessness Blues and these sort of indie f folk bands that there was something like very um, like appealing and mysterious about the way that they you know the whole it's it's a trope now but the way that like Justin Vernon of Bonnie Vera recorded his album in his cabin in the woods and and um and i also remember when i like first heard the for emma album i had just like a shitty mp3 which didn't have the tracks labeled so i didn't know who the artist was or what the songs were and and um i just heard that album as like track 06 limewire rip 333 or whatever <laughs> and um and I think that really added to like the way I loved it because it was um, like a mystery, and the mystery part was something that I really uh, that really appealed to me. Um, but then growing up, yeah, it changed a lot. Like um, in the past couple of years, I've been listening to a lot more sort of bands that incorporate synths, and it, especially during COVID, I've been listening to a lot of um, a lot of like. Uh, meditative like ambient synth sounds and yeah it's it's changes every it changes every month honestly 
but yeah, I do like Paul Simon, so I'm, and, um, I, yeah, I've heard that before, so that's cool. Yeah, I was, I was going to say with, uh, um, you know, I've been working from home for over a year now, and at, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised if Lo-Fi Beats to Chill and Study to is now my, like, top artist of all time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's one of the weird things about Spotify, too, is, like, it sort of just takes all these individual artists and like compresses it into um a vibe you know or like these playlists are just like almost in a way they're like artists unto themselves because you don't really look that closely at what's playing you just like get this feeling from a collection of songs which i'm not sure how i feel about yet but but yeah lo-fi beats you know uh like transcendental sort of ambient sounds to listen to and yeah it's i feel i feel like there's um a lot of friends i've talked to have have told me that they've the music they've been listening to during covid has been a lot more sort of instrumental and ambient and like there's less they're listening to less lyrical music um and i've just noticed that like in the during covid i've been playing a lot more with different sounds and synth tones and 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 instruments but not really writing lyrics and I, I wonder if there's something I wonder if there's like a psychological explanation for that like the way we the way maybe there's we're on the internet so much and there's just so much words that like the I don't know I don't know where I'm going but I just wonder if there's a sort of pattern to that and if that could if someone smarter than me could analyze that <laughs> well not to say that i'm smarter than you by any means but my <laughs> thought about this is that it might be a case where if with instrumental music you're able to project whatever you're feeling or thinking onto that work more easily than a song where it's like this is a song about my ex-girlfriend where you know exactly what it's about yeah that's true it's like leaves space for people who are in different emotional states yeah, that, that that might that that's my guess at least, but I'm sure I'm sure there's studies somewhere about it, <laughs> written by far smarter <laughs> people than me. I don't know. I think that's a good guess. I found a Huffington Post article that says some of the best instrumental music styles to listen to when working from home include classical, smooth jazz, ambient sounds, and my personal favorite, lo-fi hip hop beats. You can check out the full article titled "The Best Music to Listen to While Working," written by Caroline Bologna on HuffPost.com. One uh, a detail I noticed uh, when it comes to the the new release is obviously between uh, your last release, Quotidian Dream, and Two Half Words. You spent a year in Toronto. What did you get up to over there, and what brought you back to Vancouver? Um, Toronto was great. I I mostly moved there... Um, yeah, I just—I guess I just wanted. To, I've lived in BC for most of my life, and I wanted to a change. And there's a lot of musicians in Toronto who I'm, I'm really inspired by, and lots of bands that I love. Um, and a lot of my roommates there are are jazz players and are session players and stuff. And they would they would like play f- for hours every day, and then they would go and play a gig in the every evening and. Um, I think in Vancouver I knew a lot of songwriters, whereas in Toronto I knew a lot more um, 
musicians who were sort of players first and foremost. And I think it definitely affected me to be around people like that. And it made me think about music in a different way. Like, um, I think in the past, I sort of just like wrote lyrics and played four guitar chords that sounded cool and just barged, barged for like, you know, just barreled ahead. And um, um, being around people who like think about music with such detail in a, in an actual musical sense, um, in an instrumental sense, really f sort of got me to step it up and think a little bit more closely and pay m closer attention. Um, so that was one thing that was really good about being in Toronto. And a lot, yeah, a lot of the people on Two Half Words are Toronto friends of mine. Um, there's um, Robin and Felicity from the band Bernice do all the uh, harmonies. Um, and uh, I, yeah, it would take a while to name them all, but um, a lot of uh, my friend Ted did all the saxophones and my friend Ben played a lot of upright bass. And yeah, I just found it to be a really inspiring place in that sense and just a place to like um, get a new perspective on doing music. Yeah, and y you kind of partially answered this, but I figured I'd ask like what you know influence would you say jazz has on your approach to music and songwriting and you know how how did your experiences in Toronto influence the musical direction that you've taken with two half words hmm it's funny I, I I like have said that I've been influenced by jazz but then I was thinking about it as you were talking I was like I think I'm just influenced by saxophone <laughs> which is not necessarily you know that's I, I think like a, yeah a lot of my roommates were jazz trained players who went to school and stuff. Um, um, but, but I think, hmm. I got you. It's a stumper. Woohoo. Yeah. 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 Um, I think there's like a quality to that kind of playing that is sort of very like playful and very like, um, does not always locked into a specific rhythm or, and sort of like moves around the, then like sorry moves around the like rhythmic pattern in different ways and like sort of experiments a little bit um but yeah i think like a correction to that statement it's less that i'd be influenced with jazz by jazz and more just that the people who i played with on this record were very influenced by jazz and so that inherently like comes across in their playing on the album um and i there's my friend ann played flute on the album and um and um, my friend Ted played saxophone, and I'm really into wind instruments lately. Like I've never, that's never been an instrument that I could play or even like tried to play. But there's something about the quality of those instruments that, the and the airiness to them that like fills up the songs in a really nice way. I thought, and so um, yeah, it was important to me to like connect with those sort of people, and and yeah, yeah, and gonna uh definitely gonna touch on that a bit more for sure i mean listening to your three albums in sequence your 2014 release the modern new year feels traditional that was the impression i got with you know acoustic guitar is the primary instrument and you know with it's kind of got a vintage feel again this is just to my ears quotidian dream from 2017 feels more like a transitional work where you're playing around with different song structures and then we get to two half words uh which stands out to me from the rest of your discography 
How did you know this record take shape and become this really unique release? Oh, that I, li- I really like that um, sort of overarching assessment of the album. That's cool. Um, I I honestly feel like all that we all that I know or all that I did musically was basically just a result of my environment and where I was. So if my new year was more traditional, um, that was kind of all I knew. I didn't really have, um, where I grew up, the internet was, where I grew up, the internet was really slow. And um, I, my dad runs a kids camp that's kind of out in the woods. I I just didn't really like, I had a few albums and I had an MP3 player that someone had given me, but I didn't have the type of like high speed internet and access to like every musical genre in the world that I have now. Um, and I think I just like fell into like folky songwritery music, not because it's what I was inherently passionate about, but just because that's what was sort of presented to me. Um, and then it's funny, like it's sort of just the way you get put into genres, like um, that's just became like what I did for some reason. And then I think that the shift in the albums that you're talking about, like the way it's gone from more traditional to more experimental or more, a little more, um, yeah, I think that is literally just a representation of, of, or, or sorry, I think that's just a result of being exposed to more and more music and finding out what I actually like. Um, and because each of those, with each of those albums, I've been in a different place and I've obviously been older and known known more about music um i feel like with modern new year and quotidian dream there was a lot i did of there was a lot of music i didn't know and a lot of music i hadn't yet been exposed to um yeah and then um i think there's all another part of it is just wanting to feel like i'm doing something that i think i couldn't have just kept making the same kind of music forever um it wouldn't have been exciting to me and it wouldn't have been my taste. And, and, um, I also, I also, I'm, this is kind of a long rambling answer, but I also feel like, um, one of the most important things for me with music is to just find a way to like articulate a feeling or like a, something that I'm having a difficult time explaining, but a feeling that I just have like a, a sense of, sadness or melancholy or confusion or whatever and i guess the the depending on how i feel different tour tools are required to articulate that feeling um and i think the the my emotional state has been different with each album and that's and so i've sort of reached for different sounds if that makes sense yeah, that actually ties in nicely to a, a question I had about the the mood of the record itself. I mean, how would you describe kind of the tone of the release? It it to me feels darker than your previous records, though I wouldn't necessarily call it a dour or depressing release. Yeah, uh, it's funny because it's I wrote most of it before COVID, but a lot of people have said thought it was sort of a COVID based album because. I guess, yeah, that's just what people have said to me. Um, and 
Yeah. Um, it is. I guess it is kind of a darker release. I was feeling. I wrote most of it right when I had left Vancouver, and um, I felt like I kind of like disconnected myself from a lot of different relationships in my life, like not just not just personal human relationships, but like my relationship to the city of Vancouver, my relationship to BC. Um, I, I kind of felt like a lot of things had become sort of, yeah, unlocked or disconnected and not necessarily in a bad way, but I was just feeling very, like I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and like lonely in a way, but not really lonely. I don't mind being alone, and it wasn't necessarily lonely of in a sense of like missing specific people, but just this like sort of <laughs> permeating sense of of being in the in an in between in in between space. Um, like COVID. Kind of <laughs> like yeah, exactly, totally before COVID, but but yeah, so it's been two years of feeling that way for me or more. That's this my when COVID happened, I was like, oh, I'm ready for this. I know this feeling. <laughs> Obviously, not to make light of COVID, it's very different from anything that I've experienced. But yeah, I think I was just, I think I was just feeling a sort of deep blue, and, um, and yeah, that's, and with this album, I did the, I did the um, instruments first for the most part, I think, and then put the lyrics on top for most of the songs not all of them and i think that was a big shift because i would just try and get a sound that sounded like how i was feeling and then um and then put the and then find a try and articulate it with lyrics later and so i i think that i think that led to like the actual tonal quality of the album being more blue because the instruments are trying to be more reflective of emotion as opposed to just, you know, playing some chords and then writing sad lyrics on top of it, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, y you said something that uh, I, I thought was uh, interesting, that uh, just speaking for my for myself, uh, just uh, as a introverted ex extrovert, I have to say if it was a lot more extroverted, uh, the pandemic would have affected me more profoundly, but if you're used to spending a lot of time by yourself, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> More of this. All right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like work freelance as well and have always kind of worked from home. So, um, but it was funny. I remember at the first couple months of COVID, all these think pieces were coming out of like society, get, people are at home and they don't have s fixed schedules and they, and they don't know what to do with themselves and it's messing everyone up psychologically. And it was all these studies of how bad it has been for people to have no regime and no schedule. And I was like, oh, maybe that's why I feel kind of weird all the time. I've been living this way for years. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I like the word introverted, introverted extrovert. That I like that phrase. I, I feel that way, too. I, it really, being part of community really matters to me, but I also need to spend lots of time alone as well and try and have a, I feel like the album recording process was kind of that way too, like wrote and comp arranged a lot of the songs alone, but then there was a big community element to the recording part with a bunch of different people. So I think you have to sort of 
one balances out the other and there's an equilibrium there. For sure. I, I read that you gained some experience composing music for films when you were in Toronto. What films has your work been featured in and how did this experience inform your approach to writing two half words? Um, I, I went to film school at UBC actually. Um, and so a lot of the people that I kept doing music, f um, in film school, I was composing for, for my classmates. And then, um, as we all graduated and started to do different things, um, some of those filmmakers continued to hire me. So, um, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different projects, but most of them are a lot of short films, um, a lot of one feature film and lots of different co contributions here and there, but, um, it, it really, it actually, that really helped me, I think, because, because it's sort of an egoless way of making music, I feel, uh, in the sense that you, when you make an album that's sort of a songwritery album, you're like, this is, this is me, these are my emotions, here's my story, like, if you don't like it, too bad, um, whereas composing for, for film or video games or anything like that is, your only role is to serve the film and to like contribute to a larger project. Um, and I felt like there was a lot of learning during that time, even just technical learning. Like I learned a lot more about um, even just recording software and um, MIDI sounds and um, things like that. Whereas I've always been like, quite an amateur like I've just gone through this <laughs> life being like a, a enthusiastic amateur but those projects kind of forced me to actually learn what I was doing a little bit more and pay more attention to the sonic quality of things and and best of all like detach take my ego out of it just learn to like serve something bigger and I, yeah that I feel like those that's a very big learning for me and really fun as well um and probably like where I got the most technical improvement in, a, in the sense of just like learning how to find things and sample tones and record different instruments and that sort of thing. Did that kind of have a spill over to how you approached coming up with lyrics and melodies for the songs themselves and that you're coming up with the music first to capture a mood and then figuring out from there, you know, your part with, with the vocals. It was one of those things where like, Oh, I got to figure out what serves this song rather than no, I want to, I want to talk about the, the time I was a little kid and I dropped my ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they're connected. Um, yeah. I, I, I think maybe I'm trying to think of like a, a succinct way to say it, but I think, those composing gigs taught me um, the emotional weight that just sound alone can carry, even without lyrics. And I still, like, lyrics are still very important to me, but um, it just sort of... It's like in a video game when you see an object and it's highlighted to show you that, like... A, that's what you can go and collect. <laughs> it, it sort of became like more apparent to me than it had before. Gotcha. 
And what is the story behind the title, Two Half Words, and the album cover? Oh, um, yeah, Two two Half Words is kind of... Um, well, it's one of the song names. Um, and I liked it just because it's it sort of articulates the feeling of having two of something and yet still no whole um like two half words is not are neither of them are effective on their own (laughs) and um I, i think a lot of the album is about communication and the gap between what you mean and what you're able to say and i think two half words for me like when i think about two half words i think about like a feeling of frustration like you've got these two pieces and you really want to say something and it's sort of broken or a piece is missing from each one um and then i was thinking about it more when i first decided it was going to be called that and um you know there's lots of other there's lots of other ways it could go as well like like the two were the two half words are sort of needed to, to like in a romantic sense two half words is something to think about in terms of like your love life um and how you like fit with another person and not to say that anyone is half of a word but um i just felt like it was like applicable to a lot of the songs and a lot of the ways the a lot of the things i was thinking about with communication as well um yeah i think that's and there's a there's a there's a poem um, I don't have it in front of me right now. I'll, I'll send it to you after. Um, uh, and then the album art was, um, I was, I couldn't find album art for so long. I was having a really hard time, like, finding something that felt right for the album. Um, and the album, originally for a long time, I felt like it was, like, a really, the color of the album should be, like, really dark blue. And a lot of my friends were telling me that as well. And then I just found, um, I saw it on Instagram, honestly. It was Harry, an artist called Harry Rothel, who's from um, Sydney, Australia. And um, I just messaged him on Instagram, and we became friends, and we were chatting, and he was really generous um, to let me use that. And it was the one other thing that was funny. It was kind of only a work in progress, that piece of art. Like, he was planning to keep working on it and turn it into something else. So... I, but I only wanted it in it in the state that I saw it on Instagram. So he sent me that, and then I think he continued to work on it. The striking cover for Sam Tudor's latest album, Two Half Words, was created by Melbourne artist Harry Rothel. Rothel's colorful and abstract paintings have been showcased around Australia and London, England. You can check out his work on his Instagram at Harry Rothel. And finished it into a completely different art piece. So. I think it's cool that like um I like the album art is like a unfinished painting and it doesn't exist in that form anywhere else like even in a physical sense in a tactile sense like that that painting looks like something else now and I think that I thought that was no one else really ever would ever know that so I but it it meant something to me because um I thought it tied in very closely to the idea of something unfinished in the same way that the album title two half words does yeah 
the reading I would get is that like it's you have the album cover is an unfinished early version of a later work, and there's two pieces, so there's exactly yeah, it's like a spider web with the whiteboards. It all lines up. I'm just thinking of the Charlie yeah, exactly. Day from, from uh, yeah, no, I, I know the meme. meme. <laughs> yeah, I know the meme you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. That's me when I'm trying to finish an album. I look like that meme, but uh, <laughs> yeah. And then uh, one thing else though that always I always thought about is like the album cover we I was so sure for so long it needed to be like dark blue and I think something that's so weird about that painting is even though it's like a fiery orange it still has a feeling of like uh, I know this sounds a little crazy but it still has a feeling of like blueness and coldness or like a wintry feeling and I really like that it was it was just so funny that I was like for so long set on having something that was really dark blue and then I saw that and I was like Oh, that looks dark blue. And my friends were like, "No, that's that's bright orange." <laughs> but it felt it had the same feeling for me. So, yeah. You're not color blind by chance, are you? <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. No, no, it's no. That's I'm the not, right shade of blue uh, I'm looking for. It's like Sam. It's orange. <laughs> yeah, this checked out. Yeah, it still feels blue though. It's it's not, but it still does. So I don't know. I guess have to talk to harry about that but but um yeah and it's cool to like work with someone who's on the other side of the country too especially during covid it was nice to make a new friend in that sense yeah absolutely is he a canadian artist no he's he lives in sydney australia oh yeah you mentioned that i should have been paying attention Um, (laughs) (laughs) how dare you you're not even listening to me I'm the one with my camera turned on, which is a comment will to- totally translate well to a podcast, but whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I have an external monitor with no video camera. I would have turned mine on, but I, I it just doesn't exist right now. Sorry about that. Ah, it's fine. <laughs> I can hear you. That's the most important thing. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, and, and you know we'd uh, we have. Uh, touched on this a little uh, a little bit but i felt it'd be good to give all these wonderful people a, a spotlight the album cu- uh the album credits include a impressive list of players including a, a flutist three vocalists three bassists and three drummers which almost feels <laughs> like a, uh, a joke from spinal tap uh you know what can you tell us about all the all the folks that played on this record and helped realize your vision for the project um well, it took me a really long time to make this record, as any of my friends will tell you. Um, I and over the, it took. I worked on it for kind of three years, off and on, and um, and so that's partly. It's very like. Um, I guess that's why the players list is so fragmented. Like, um, I went to Montreal with some of my friends, where and recorded drums and bass, originally with in a studio in Montreal, and then I was. I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a bit neurotic, so I wasn't. I wasn't. Um, I I Cut liked from about the same like, cloth. <clears throat> <laughs> okay, yeah. I liked about like 50% of that for the album, and then um, in Toronto, I I had different players tr- play on the same songs, and and then back in Vancouver, my my friends and longtime bandmates played on the songs here, and then what I ended up doing is just. Um, sort of picking and choosing the parts that I liked from every 
player um and often sometimes it's like in one song like i think um on the song perennials there's my friend millie is drumming on the bridge and then my friend um uh, evan is drumming on the verses and then the chorus is a different drummer as well so um sometimes like I some I listen to the songs and I I don't even remember who's playing on what. I just kept track of who played, period. But I don't know like exactly who played on what. And it was it's kind of fun that way too. Like, um, sometimes someone would play something, and then someone else would pl play something on top that was really un unexpected. Um, like in dance call, there's like a, a drum floor tom pattern that was played by my, my friend Millie, and then. Um, my friend Evan on a completely like months later in a different city played the snare drum part over top and so it really is like um, has a mosaic feel in terms of who played on it and that was like partly due to my neurosis because I could never pick anything so I just kept recording over and over and over again um, but then it also turned into like a cool part of the project so there, there was ups and downs of doing it that way <laughs> but um but it's, uh, yeah, does that answer your question? I can't even remember the question. Yeah, I think it does. I was just kind of uh, touching on, you know, the amount of different people that worked on the on the project and yeah. how, you know, kind of that, that process works. Um, one thing I noticed, obviously, listening through your discography was that uh, your albums incorporate a wide range of instrumentation, though with... Two half words, the mixture of synthetic and organic sounds is found on almost every track. Uh, on a sound like Perennials, for example, where do you get the idea to mix what, to my ear, sounds like blooping beats with flute accents? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know where I think of doing, why I think of doing that. Um, Yeah, that's a, like a hard question to answer because I, I just kind of do it. Um, I, I usually just try and like, I think often I, I think I just try and make something with whatever's nearest to me. Um, and when it was time to start recording this album, I had access to a MIDI keyboard and I had learned a lot more about VSTs and synth plugins than I ever had before. Um, and I also think I was just a bit bored of playing, writing songs with the guitar. That's the age old tale where someone just gets bored of guitar and pl starts playing with synths. I know it's kind of cliche, but, um, but it's true. It was playing songs on only guitar is, is boring after a while. And, um, and I also, yeah, I, I kind of like I was, struggling through explaining earlier i felt like synths were like better at articulating how i was feeling like it was just more suited to my my state of mind at the time um and then yeah like i i think like some of the sounds are just like logic stock plugins so i so like you're asking me like how do i make those choices and I think I really do just like dive into whatever's around me and like, you know, this flute and saxophone on this album and my roommates were flute and saxophone players. And I know that's not a very romantic answer, 
but I think it's kind of just like uh, an, an, a process of like absorbing your environment and then using the things in your environment to 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 articulate yourself and how you're feeling. Hundred percent, and I think it speaks to just the ease of access that a musician can have to decent recording software. With you know, you got the right plugins in there, and you can build almost any song that you want. This yeah. is gonna date the recording time a little bit, but uh, the night before, I was actually in our studio here, our new studio, uh, and uh, my producer and I were working on a song for for a project that'll uh, be coming out coming out soon. I don't want to again provide more details that'll date okay. this date this even further, but you know, just the fact that we were able to build an entire song with just some MIDI keyboards is just it's wonderful. It's so easy. Yeah. It is, and it's I, I I'm excited about like I've always been really uh, an advocate for recording at home, and the more the easier the easier and easier it gets. I think that um, people are going to be able to like give us a better sense of themselves from recording at home. It's exciting. Now, kind of uh, kind of on that. Um, I had read that the the record took at least a year to record, and the mixing process was completed in shall we say harsh surroundings. Uh, what was the 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 journey of this record from the demo process to the final master? Um, hard to remember, like almost as fractured as the I was describing the recording process with like all different cities, different people, and it's just squishing it all together. And that's that's. That's pretty much how the the overall recording process went as well. Um, like I don't I don't have a clear start date when I was like, oh, now I'm working on the record. Now I'm like I don't really even um, demo. Uh, I just kind of start in a, a logic file, and then the logic file just develops in a Frankenstein way over a years long period. Um, stuff like gets deleted and moved around. Um, I rec- most of it was recorded in Toronto. Some of it was recorded here in Vancouver, just because it was important to me to get my my friends who I play with here on on the album. Um, and but then the mixing, it, um, what finally sort of made me finish it and like push through my own um, my own sort of barriers of not being able to finish it. Um, is during the pandemic I was living um, my yeah my dad he runs this it's a forest education center in near Williams Lake um, and so it's a, a camp with a collection of cabins and um, kids come there and can learn about the forest and they go they have um, different they go for hikes and stuff like that but it, during COVID it's completely empty so it's just a bunch of cabins in the woods and at the start of COVID, when we didn't really know what was going on with the world, I, I ended up just living there for a couple months, um, and I had my own cabin. Um, and I, I borrowed a set of monitor speakers from a guy who lives up there, whose name's Bill. Shout out to Bill. And he um, he built these monitor speakers himself, and they're really good. And he lent me a pair, and I set them up in the cabin, and um, and mix the album there finish the mix of the album there and there was literally nothing else to do and i could just focus on it every day um 
so it was kind of funny because I guess the album itself was recorded and made in these sort of like crowded, very urban, um, very populated communities. And then the, it was, I dealt with all the sounds in a very isolated place. And the uh, Gavin Lake is actually, uh, which is the, the, where the edu- forest education center is is based I, I saw that it was the subject of one of the music videos that you've released for for the record must have been a, a strange experience you know being up there being <laughs> as socially distanced and as isolated as you can possibly be and then you hear news trickling in that like the government's like saying to everybody oh you've got to isolate Exactly. Yeah, and that was exactly the experience because we shot that music video, like the week before COVID began. Like I think it was like March thirteenth, twenty twenty, was kind of when Bonnie Henry was sort of it. It things got real, mm-hmm. um, and re- that week was when we we recorded, we we shot the music video up there, and um, a- after we shot the music video, everyone was kind of just like can we just, maybe we should just stay up here for a while to see to see what happens with the world. And so we did. We ended up staying all together for a couple weeks. Located near Williams Lake, B.C., the Gavin Lake Forest Education Center is a volunteer-run nonprofit that provides outdoor education facilities for children in the Caribou Regional District. The center provides educational modules, including habitat and forest use, First Nations culture and ecology, along with recreational activities and classes for cross-country skiing, archery, and canoeing. Footage of the center is featured in Sam Tudor's music video for Everybody's Keeping Their Word, and you can learn more about the center at gavinlake.ca. Um, and so that was really that was really nice. It was like a s- sort of surreal and obviously very privileged to be in that space that feels kind of safe and removed, but like, strangely kind of a special first couple weeks of the pandemic um yeah yeah i was was gonna say that uh uh in a way that (laughs) uh and i um i'm just gonna express kind of my feelings at the time and obviously i'm not i i say this not to trivialize any of the genuine suffering that's happened as a result of the pandemic but speaking for myself when things were initially popping off I had, I had this fear that, oh no, I'm living through the zombie apo- the start of the zombie apocalypse. Damn it. Yeah. So, so you know, you, you being <laughs> well, up I in Gavin Lake was like, oh, you, you, you had the best. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's the best yeah. place to be. <laughs> northern yeah, it, northern it interior really BC, be. you're safe. It's perfect. Yeah, in the, in the case of an actual zombie apocalypse, it's a good place to be. But uh, that's why I'm not going to reveal the actual location because it's my secret fortress there in case go. things go bad. <laughs> I just become this like post-apocalyptic like warlord or ever or whatever of Gavin yeah, Lake. Totally. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's funny. Like there was one one year when like the forest fires were really bad up there, and there was so many forest fires in the region that that. Um, there weren't enough firefighters c- to come deal with it when a fire started near the camp. And my dad literally would go out every day and fight it by himself with a couple other people. And 
they just like treated the camp as their home base and just like went out and fought fires and then came back in the evening and drank beers and it had sort of a vibe of like a like a last fortress at the end of the world and um i don't know what why i brought that up but yeah it's a it's a pretty special place to me you know it's it's the exact opposite of like where i live now and in like a city and stuff but i make sure to go back as much as i can yeah and it, it would make sense that you you know, you specifically dedicate uh, or include a dedication in the the liner notes to the Gavin Lake Forest Education Center. Uh, another yeah. credit that I noticed, um, and I believe you had made some reference to it earlier on in our conversation, was there's a dedication to the Emily Dickinson poem, I Felt a Cleaving in My Mind. And you included the first stanza of the poem in the credits, which I'm going to read for our listeners. I felt a cleaving in my mind as if my brain had split I tried to match it seam by seam, but could not make it fit. What's the relation between two half words and this poem specifically? And I'm also curious as to why only the first stanza is included. Hmm. Uh, okay. Well, I actually like found this poem after the name to after coming up with the album name, but then, but then I I read it. Um, I can't remember how I. I I haven't. Uh, I studied English at UBC as well, so I, I probably, I you know, I had to read lots of Emily Dickinson, but I hadn't even, I didn't even know that poem before. Um, but then when I read that first stanza, I was like, oh, that's, that is what I'm trying to say with two half words, you know, like, two, like, if she's referring to a sort of a mind or like a consciousness or a sense of selfhood that's split in half, that is what the title two half words is kind of uh gesturing as well um is it gesturing or gesturing 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 (laughs) yeah um so that that's kind of what the title is gesturing as well um and it just it's also like uh how i feel (laughs) in in short it's how i feel i feel like i i am sometimes like self-reflexive to a fault where i um, have like this external version of myself that is looking at myself and and questioning and critiquing every move and these two selves the one that is like taking action and the one that is assessing the action are very separate people and very separate parts of my mind and sometimes they like um, I don't feel like they're working together effectively I feel like they're they're freezing each other and it is like this distinct feeling of two-ness um and yeah when i read that poem i was just like oh that is um what a what a beautiful articulation of of the way that i'm of of something i'm trying to like get across yeah and then yeah i just included the first stanza because i thought obviously including the whole poem would be a little too long and that was the part that felt the most relevant at the time yeah i was going to say the self-reflexive guy gets in a way in the way a lot yeah absolutely you you gotta prevent that guy from being too paralyzing which i think is always the challenge yeah i think a big learning in the past couple years for me is like self-reflection's not enough you know like i i took pride in being like a self-aware self-reflexive person for a really long time um and you know uh, living an examined life is important 
but it's not enough. You can't just like rest on the laurels of being self-reflexive because you need to like take that and turn it into like this like action and being in the world and and sometimes the best thing to do is just like watch yourself move, you know. Yeah, sometimes you got to turn your brain off, <laughs> which is yeah. easier said yeah. than done for sure. Yeah, that's a better way to say it, yeah. <laughs> but speaking of things that require brain power to uh work properly uh and uh be a really engaging experience you developed a virtual interactive space together with uh nielsen kerner safrata had to pause mm-hmm. to get that name nice. right as part of yeah, the pre-release it. for the record how would you describe this interactive space to our listeners and where did you come up the idea come up with this idea for it um Throughout COVID, uh, one sort of fun thing that I started doing was um, compo- uh, there's these things online called game jams, which is where members of like the independent video game community get together and and compose. And, and sorry, and they have a week to like just create a video game. Um, and I've always wanted to compose the music for video games. That's like been a kind of a dream of mine for a long time. And someone recommended I start taking part in these game jams, which is just you sort of randomly get thrown onto a team of game developers, and then you have to make a game in a week on a theme. Um, and I, it became like my COVID thing. And it got me through COVID. I made a lot of internet friends, uh, a lot of friends in Discord, and a lot of time on Twitch and stuff. And um, and got really into game development that way. Still just an amateur, but um, um, fa- like just found myself so excited about it. Like I w- would sign on as a composer, but then I would get involved in um, like level design and um, concept design, and so that kind of got me thinking. Like I was already interested in that world, and then and then that on top of just feeling like releasing an album during COVID was so like flat um or or, you know we all started doing live streams and lots of online stuff but it's very it feel always feels very one-dimensional um and i knew we weren't going to be able to play an actual album release show and i think the physicality of of performing music is really important to me like this the feeling of the venue and, and the way people interact in the space and releasing all these singles and music videos online it just like something was clearly missing and it, it made me think like what would be a way to bring some dimensionality and some like physicality and even some autonomy into the into like a covid album release like um so yeah i you know i i don't know when i thought of the idea but i was just like it would be so cool if someone could walk around and like control their own character and and walk into different rooms to hear different songs. And then it would sort of just function as like an, a complicated advanced stream. Um, and uh, Nielsen is, we have a lot of mutual friends and have chatted a few times and he's like an amazingly talented um, designer and creative person. And um, I can't, I reached out to him with the idea and was talking to him about it and, and he like, did all the implementation for the most part and um 
yeah, and then, and then I sent him all the photos, photos of different, that influenced different songs. And, but to answer your question, yeah, I think it was just, I think it was just um, a desire to, to do something with for the album release that like, had a that connected with people and had a sense of like humanity and realness and, because just making a lot of posts on social media like, and putting out music videos didn't feel like it was going to be enough for me to feel satisfied or like I'd connected with people. You can check out the virtual interactive listening space for the Two Half Words album on Sam Tudor's website at samtutormusic.com under 2hw-interactive-space. To learn more about the designer, Nielsen Kerner Safrata, you can check him out on Twitter at Neil Sonks. That's certainly something I've observed is that the pandemic has forced a lot of bands and artists to come up with new ways to engage with their fans and share their music in place of you know being able to, being able to actually play shows and tour for them for now i i think the something i almost didn't even realize is like there's a certain psychology during covid where you're like sort of forced to view other people as a threat in the sense that they're like a carrier of a and you know you're also aware that you're a carrier but i think that's very like damaging to th- think that way for a year even unconsciously of like oh oh, yeah well it's it's after my sorry i've like two yeah i'm also like two two and a half weeks since my first vaccine and like just to start to not view people as like as much of a other people as a threat is just so nice it makes me realize like how dark it was to do that it it's even weird just uh i mean i (laughs) Funny story about myself. I'm a I'm a fast walker, so I found I find I walk around people quite a lot if I'm okay. go on my yeah. way. And like <laughs> a, a bit a weird benefit of the pandemic is that like I can aggressively walk around people because they're like, oh, he he cares about my my health or something. And I'm like, no, it's because you're <laughs> slow. Get out of my way. <laughs> but at the same time, it, it's weird seeing you know if coming from a fast walker, it's something that I I will do, but seeing you know, people just like, you know, jump out of their way. Cause like, Oh no, <laughs> it's, it's like, it, it is weird in that regard. It's just yeah. like, yeah. It, it <laughs> yeah. It absolutely yeah. is. So, and yeah, yeah, it'll take some time to get out of it, but yeah, sooner yeah. rather than later There's for sure. Yeah. It will. It'll, I think it'll take me some time too to like be, be good at, socializing or like just um yeah i feel like i've learned a lot about like directing my energy and and being sort of this is a bit of a cliche but like it sounds a little bit new agey but like being conscious of where i'm putting my energy and protecting it in a way and i hope i could like learn some of those uh, or sort of uh hold on to some of those lessons going out of covid for sure um and one thing that i was thinking about is like obviously everyone is in the music industry is working towards getting back to that space where everyone can play live shows and tour again, because I mean, that's really where anyone makes any of their, their money as a musician, but I've, I've had a thought and I, I wanted to ask you about this. I mean, what other digital tools do you think could be used to promote your own music uh, or by other artists to promote their work, because at the very least, from this, there's been you know with what you've done with this virtual like listening space, there's been 
opportunities for bands to be creative. And I'm, I'm really hope, hopeful that like at the very least that creativity spills over into how people or how artists approach, uh, you know, sharing their music going forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there is a lot more to explore in that, in that regard. Like how do we, um, it's hard because music, I like really value, um, like the, the in-person physical nature of like sharing music with people and listening to music with people. But I also, uh, in the same breath, I'm really excited about like ways that we can integrate sort of like, um, virtual and digital online technology with music releases. Like I, I do, th I think, you know, there's a lot of stuff like bands releasing things on YouTube and having like, I, I don't know. I think we, I think we could do, I think there's more that we could do. Um, I'm not exactly sure what that looks like right now, but you know, I'm fall. I, I, um, I don't feel great about NFTs. <laughs> I, I mean, I have, I, I don't know enough yet to like form like a really strong opinion, but like, it's like Bitcoin for art. Yeah, feels totally. Like. Cryptocurrency for art. Oddly enough, on uh, I was uh, on my Uber ride over to the studio uh, while I'm yeah. talking with my driver about cryptocurrency. I was like, I'm <laughs> like you, you talk. I don't know enough about this stuff. Yeah, exactly. That's how I feel too. I, I, but. Um, yeah, I guess I'm just trying to think of to answer your question. I think short answer is like I don't really know right now what what a good a next. Um, I think there is maybe ways you could go further with like um, being able to have s the listener have like a, a like autonomy in the listening experience, um, and like feel like they're physically they're like inside the space or something um i i was someone told me that billy eilish did the did like the physical version of what our virtual space was um where she actually had people like for an advanced listen of her album people could actually walk into rooms like real rooms and in the rooms each room played a song and the rooms were decorated with themes and th things from her life and i think that was really that's really cool um yeah uh I'm I like not that sure idea. Yet. That's I'm really cool. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of. I heard about it after we did our thing, but it was basically just like a physical, the physical version of what of what our thing was. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't. I don't have an answer right now, but I think, uh, I think there's ways. Like, it can be really exciting. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I'm stumped right now because I'm. It's almost too big of a thing to like even start to think about. But um, I think we're like. I think it would be cool to like take the idea of the virtual listening space and expand upon that even further. Like maybe make it like an experience that takes like multiple hours and there's more that you have to do to like really feel like you're like a part of the process and sort of integrate the the integrate the like physical and the choice making with your own artistic process or something like a choose your own adventure novel but an album but also a yeah. physical interactive space i, I mean, guess i'm just describing a video game but <laughs> yeah. i mean uh, an idea that kind of popped to mind would be wouldn't it be cool to give 
um, your fans like uh, stems of your music and give them the opportunity to remix your own songs. Totally, and yeah, I've 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 heard of some musicians doing that. And I think that's really cool. Um, yeah, that is really cool. And then I, I I know that like Kanye West keeps updating his music on Spotify. Like he like he'll put out a song and then he'll like make tweaks on it and change it a couple months later and i'm not saying i endorse that because i do think there's something to be said for like finishing something and having a sense of permanence because otherwise you know but 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 then i was just thinking about that concept and i was like what if like what if someone could feel like they were in the development process of the song through digital means um and in a way that was more nuanced than just like receiving demos from the artist, like in a Patreon style or something, but like maybe in some way where they could like flip through different versions of the song or like something, I don't know, or like walk through different mixes or something. I don't know. I need to think about that more. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of, uh, yeah, there's plenty of options uh, available and like, yeah, I just want to get your perspective on that because I think that's like, it's something really cool that I think can come out of the pandemic is uh, just ways, different ways that artists can think about and uh, enact, you know, interacting with their, with their fans. Um, I agree. Cause there's so much online to like so many ways to engage. There's no doubt about that. So many different social media platforms and ways to like comment and respond. But like sometimes it does feel, I think there's a way to add more dimensionality to it. Definitely. And at our time of recording, Two Half Words has been out for at least a month now. What has the response been like to this new record? It's been really nice. Yeah, it's been really nice. Um, it is weird not playing a live show, you know, like and not seeing many people. It's almost hard to gauge what the response is. But, um, but there's been people who have reached out to me and sent me emails that are really nice and... and um, have told me like that the songs have really resonated with them and and um, that means a lot to me to especially to hear from like individual people who who I don't know or something like that um, that's that's pretty nice that that makes it feel like it was kind of worth it you know <laughs> um, yeah it's been good it's it's I will be really happy to like be in a room and play some of the new songs and and like be like 10 feet away from people while I'm playing them, you know? And like see the way that people respond to them and and how I feel when I'm playing them and stuff. And I have been missing that in this album release process for sure. Um, but on the other hand, I think a COVID release has inspired people to reach out in different ways who might not otherwise reach out. Um, so yeah, it it seems like it's. I think people kind of, a, a lot of the people who reach out to me are like people who seem to have gone through a lot of the same stuff that I've gone through, just with like, um, mental health stuff and, and, struggling throughout. And they like sort of they it feels like they kind of get it, <laughs> what I was talking about. So, um, so it's really nice. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 pretty grateful. And with the new record obviously out in the world, what do you and your team have planned for the rest of the year? Um, I'd, I'd like to make, I'm not going to like, you know, officially commit 
to anything right now on this show, but I'd <laughs> but I'd I'd like to make some sure? music videos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't. But but I would like to make some music videos, and um, I'm pretty excited about directing these days. So I'd like to try directing some more of my own music videos. Um, so I think that'll be my focus maybe for the next couple months, and then. And then, yeah, like I, I would really like to explore the sort of um, more, more stuff that's like integrates th like virtual spaces with music, and I'd like to explore that more. Um, but in short, working on new music for sure, um, all basically all the time, and and making some music videos, and hopefully actually planning a tour. Yeah, absolutely. Because you've had had the chance to tour previously with your other albums, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I really like touring. It's one of my favorite things. And um, yeah, I, it's hard to say what we'll do, obviously. Be, but seeing that thing from the BC government that uh, September 7th we can play shows definitely has gotten us thinking and we've been chatting about where we feel comfortable going and what the soonest we want to start touring but i really would like to we worked so long on this album that i really think it would be nice to even maybe even play a, a just a delayed album release show a late one you know in like september october or something and um have a bit of a party <laughs> definitely and you know just uh yeah i don't know i, I feel that like you need to play a show with a, with a flute player and like just have as many people on stage as possible yeah, yeah, it'll be, that's actually a, something, is that um, we recorded all these songs so long ago now, like, I, f I kind of forgot how to play them, and there's that nature of, like, as I, I was describing to you, like, the recording process was so fragmented, like, it's, I think it would be, like, almost impossible to chart any of these songs, you know, like, so we're gonna have to figure out, I've never, like, Unlike any of the past albums, I've never really had to think about what these songs sound like live, or how we're gonna play these songs live. And I didn't think about that very hard while I was while I was recording them. So it'll be a fun challenge actually to figure out what these songs, how these songs are gonna take shape live, and that that actually might be a big focus of the next few months. Yeah, I know uh, the band Spoon. That's all they do is that like they they do what they need to do within the studio and then they go through the process of trying to figure out how the hell they'll <laughs> pull it off in a live setting. Yeah, it, it can be hard to do it that way, but I think it's I think that's a good way to do it. I've I've known people who who would say like, "Oh, I'm only going to I'm only going to record what I know I can recreate live." And if that works for them, I, that makes sense, but for me it's I don't. I feel like that's uh, like unnecessarily um, restricting, you know. Uh, to, I'm okay with the album and the live experience being different, and I don't need the albums to sound like anything you that it would sound like live, you know. I th I'm okay with them being two different experiences. Yeah, it's like special effects in movies. It's that like you know you ideally should build what you can when it comes to sets and models. Yeah, but sometimes exactly. you got to use green screen and like CGI yeah, totally. for stuff. Yeah, and I don't think it makes it that makes it like uh, fake, you know, like, like it's still part of the art. Yeah, to and this is kind of a, a 
might not be the best comparison, but it's kind of like how with, you know, when you see a live hip hop show, the emphasis isn't so much on, oh, wow, that guy's actually playing that. It's more the atmosphere of hearing the music and how the, um, how the vocalist is interacting with the crowd more so than like, you know, the, cause there's a lot of backing tracks in that case. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. What uh, local bands or artists would you recommend we check out or bring on the podcast for a future episode? Oh, um, I really like Devours. Uh, he's making like me too. Very cool. Yeah, he's making really good pop music. That is just. I mean, that'll be like post post COVID. We should all go dance to a Devours set. Um, I'm down. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of of Bernice, and they're Tor- they're based in Toronto, but um, they're just like such cool. They are like take take pop music and kind of turn it on its head in a really exciting way. Um, and then um, oh man, there's just there's almost too many. Uh, it's almost too many to to uh, to name. But um, um, Walgren is is Tegan Walgren. And she plays with us sometimes, and she's awesome. And um, I really like Malcolm Jack, who is formerly of Data Plan. He's he was a really big influence on me when I first moved to Vancouver. And um, the al- his the latest Data Plan album is super good. Um, yeah, so many, so many. Yeah, those are all great. I was going to say we actually had Jeff uh, Kincaid from uh, Devourers on the show uh, during COVID last year. It might have been around this this time of year last year, talking to him about his side project, The Golden Age of Wrestling, which is like his instrumental stuff, which is really cool. I love that. Yeah, that's the type of music that I I needed during COVID, so I, I love that. Yeah, I'd, I'd absolutely be open to uh, touching base with him again because he, he's just – the music that he's making is it's so it, – it's just nice to hear something that's, like, really unique, not just within the Vancouver yeah. music scene or Canadian music scene, but just in general. It's just – it's really refreshing. I agree. Yeah. It's um, – yeah, I, I definitely agree. And he, he sort of is able to, like – um, be a part of so many musical communities in Vancouver and like bridge the gap between so many musical communities in Vancouver and it's like a cool synthesis of I feel a lot of like Vancouver pride <laughs> for Devours <laughs> because of how like he's such a massive support for the Van- like he really goes out of the way to support people in the Vancouver music community and he's you know like you could hear him in like a you could hear him in like a, a late, like a 3 a.m. club. You would dance, but he also like comes to my little folky shows and stuff. You know, he's all, <laughs> yeah. Shout out, shout out Jeff. Yeah, shout out to Jeff for sure. And how can listeners keep up with what you're up to and check out your music? Um, well, all the classic ways, social media, um, we have Bandcamp. We have a website, www.samtutormusic.com. Um, I have Instagram. Um, I think that's it. It's all just Sam Tudor Music? 
yeah oh and all my social media is same tutor uh s-a-m-e underscore tutor perfect okay i i better run here but um thank you so much yeah thank you too sam you have an awesome night all right you too see you later james thanks for listening i'm your host james olson pacific sound radio is produced by mark lingelbach you can check us out on facebook at pacific sound radio instagram at pacific sound radio twitter at pacific s radio youtube at pacific sound media our website is pacificsoundradio.com and you can also check us out wherever you stream your podcasts if you like the show there are a few different ways you can support it you can give us a five-star rating and a positive review on apple podcasts or your podcast platform of choice that lets you leave reviews you can share this podcast on your social media and you can recommend the show in person to your friends, family, and coworkers. If you know a local band or artist that you think should appear as guests on our show, let us know. Fill out the form on our website or send us an email to talkpsr at gmail.com.